Okay, we're on. Brilliant. Good morning. Hi. My name's Lois, and I'm part of the leadership team here, and I just want to add my own warm welcome to uh, new people, uh, anyone visiting us. You're really welcome here, and I'd love to get to know you. Um, At the moment, we are approaching the end of a teaching series called Your Kingdom Come, and we've been hearing about God's kingdom as it comes in the New Testament. And so far... We've heard about how God's kingdom means nations worshipping together, undivided, like what we've just been hearing about from Melissa. We've also been hearing that it means radical generosity. It means freedom from being bound up. And last week, we heard from Steve that it means a culture being transformed through biblical values through people knowing their calling and being obedient to it, and through prayer. So today I'm going to follow up on a couple of ideas from last week, and my title is Radical Obedience. Radical Obedience. As a phrase, an immediate reaction might be, is that a bit of a contradiction? You know, how can obedience be radical? Radicals often said to mean breaking the rules, isn't it? Like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a radical. Radical as a term actually means thorough and completely. It means a total commitment to an ideal. And what do we mean by obedience? Well, in the Bible, the Greek word is actually made up of two words, one of which is beneath And the other is to hear. So in the Bible, it means getting under what is heard or submitting to what is heard. And more simply, it means to hear something and then to do it. So putting those two things together then, radical obedience is hearing the word of God and wholeheartedly taking action regardless of the cost to ourselves. Hearing the word of God and wholeheartedly taking action, regardless of the cost to ourselves. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And obedience, in many ways, is easier said than done, isn't it? Human beings are not known for being fabulous at following instructions. Here's a slightly trivial example of a woman lying on a floor in a ball of shame, having tried to make a piece of Ikea furniture. If you look closely at the chair there, see something's not quite right. Yeah. I know your pain. You started to get confident, and you looked away from the instructions, and that was the beginning of the end. So obedience is the biggest challenge we face in our Christian life, but it has the potential to to have the biggest impact on us and others and the world. There are several reasons why it can be a challenge for us. The Bible tells us that sin is desperate to be in charge of us. In Romans 6, it says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. It's depicted as being like a king trying to establish his own kingdom by demanding obedience from us. There are lots of temptations and behaviours that draw us away from God as king. 
and often unwittingly into a life of obedience to something or someone else, and we're building the wrong kingdom. It was good to hear from Simon this morning an encouragement about recurring sin. God has the power to break it. It's also increasingly countercultural to be obedient. There's an erosion of trust in authority figures, sometimes for understandable reason. And it makes people suspicious of genuine, God-given authority. And it's particularly countercultural to obey what the Bible says. I find it really hard sometimes to own up to wanting to live biblically because of the way that people are lambasted on social media. Have you seen that as well? Someone says, oh, but maybe, maybe we should live like this. And then there's like 80,000 people. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> It's hard. It's harder and harder to be a Christian in our culture, especially for young people. Culture says, don't be obedient to anyone. Be free. And the Bible says, real freedom is found in the obedience that comes through faith. And lastly, it's a spiritual battle. A number of years ago, Steve Thomas, who's one of the leaders in Salt and Light, he came and preached here about the importance of prayer and Bible reading. And what he said stuck with me ever since. He got us to imagine that speaking and listening to God and reading his word was like a pipeline from us to heaven. In fact, I've got a picture. I'm trying to find the best picture of a pipeline. A pipeline from us to heaven. And in this pipeline is a toing and froing of exchange and provision and communication. It's the way we have life from a loving relationship with God. It is the vehicle through which God changes us for the better through our obedience to what he says. So if Satan were to target one thing, it would be that. It would be that pipeline. He'd just have to put a little pressure on it to dry it up. Prayer and Bible reading are often hard to do, and it can feel like a battle. That picture of a pipeline has really helped me when I've been at a low ebb in my faith It makes me sit up and think, no, if nothing else, this pipeline needs to be open. So how do we do that? Because God hasn't created us to struggle. He's created us to have life and have life to the full. So we're going to look at radical obedience in three parts. Using the definition I gave at the start, we're going to look at hearing the word of God, number one. Wholeheartedly taking action, number two. And regardless of the cost to ourselves, number three. So firstly, hearing the word of God. I've just said that the pipeline is the main way that we know and love God. And I want to start by saying that reading the Bible is an act of love. It's an act of love. God loves our sung worship. He absolutely loves it. But when we go away and we open the word on our own or with someone else, showing God that we want to learn from him and be changed by him. It's like the evidence of our worship. We mean what we've been saying. If someone tells us that they love us and their actions say otherwise, we're going to have a hard time believing what they say. And experiencing God should lead to Bible reading. Every major revival in recent times has been characterized by a community of people desperate to read their Bibles again. And why is that? 
because God has revealed himself to them in a way that means their hearts are just overcome with love for him. And when you love God, you really want to do what he says. And to do what he says, you have to know what he says. A revelation of who God is leads to a love of his word. In John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command you. Reading the Bible is an act of love. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapters 5 to 7, we can read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches. And in that sermon are some radical teachings on a vast range of subjects. Given it's only three chapters, he covers a lot of ground. He teaches, for example, about the importance of righteousness. He teaches not just against murder, but also anger and the judgment that will come if we speak against each other. He teaches not just against adultery, but against lust and so on. And at the end of it all, he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When I first heard this story, I'll have been in Sunday school singing the song. Rain came down and the floods came up. The rain, okay. <laughs> the message I will have carried away with me, I think, <laughs> will have been, if I make God my rock, then storms, when they come, won't be able to overthrow me. And that's not what's happening here. This is the conclusion to his sermon. He says, therefore, and those of you who have done GCSE English will know that therefore is a connective. It links what's gone before with what is about to come next. That's what it's there for. (laughs) Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is saying, pay close attention to what I have said. So if we love God, we'll pay close attention to that and we'll obey him. And if we obey him, we're building an everlasting structure, one that will continue for eternity. So to obey commands, we need to know what they are. Now, I can pretty much word for word quote you all of the Harry Potter films. I'm not even joking. Every single word. And the Die Hard films. Love those. And the Lord of the Rings films. They're longer. And that's, that's something, isn't it? And Dante's Peak. Odd choice. But I love it. I love a, disa- love a 90s disaster movie. It's much better than Volcano. Don't bother with that one. There are many more and worse besides that I can just reel off. But can I reel off the commands of God? I'd have a good go, but I know I'd miss a lot. In fact, the verses I can quote most easily from the Bible are the ones that I really like because they encourage me 
and motivate me. That's great. But I don't focus on the ones that I really need to allow to change my life. I got given one of those spiritual coloring books recently. Has anyone heard of those? It's, I mean, it's more for the sort of artistic amongst us, but not necessarily. Everyone can color, can't they? Um, basically, what those are, for those of you who haven't come across them, is they're books in which, you know, they're kind of verses written in nice calligraphy, and you spend time meditating on them by coloring them in. And the verses are things like, Every hair on your head is numbered, which it is. But it's very unlikely that on flicking through I'd come across, do everything without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but that's the one I need to colour in. (laughs) That's the one I need to colour in. Here's a fun little exercise just to drive this point home. Um, uh, Can you try and guess... Ballpark figure, obviously it depends on your translation, but how many words do you think the Bible contains? And, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint. To the nearest 100,000. <laughs> Any guesses? Did you say 700,000? 700,000? It's very close. It's actually 800,000 words, roughly. I mean, you, pro- you probably are correct if it's the King James version or something like that. Okay, next one. Uh, how many words do you think there are in all of the Harry Potter books combined? <laughs> Anyone? Anybody? No, it's more than 200,000. 900,000? Very close. It's actually one million words. One million words. <laughs> and most of you, not all will know that you can really rattle through those, can't you? The four Gospels then, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, how many do you think, how many words, given there's only four books, at least more? 50,000, really close. 65,000 words. And of those, sorry, there is a point to this, of those, how many do you think in those four books are the reported speech of Jesus? Five, three, twenty. Yeah, it's closer. I was surprised by this. It's actually only just under half of the reported speech of Jesus. That is fewer words than Roald Dahl's The Twits. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Fewer words than Roald Dahl's The Twits. There's a fact you didn't know. So I know it's not all about the number of words and just reading and just getting through the words. But my point is, there aren't that many. There are few enough for us to know them well. We need the Bible in our pipeline. That means reading it, but it also means wrestling with it. And here's the thing, the Bible isn't a list of commands. It just isn't. Praise God, it is so much more than that. It does contain commands, But it also has parables, histories, poetry, and more besides, all for our good, all to instruct our living. God has given us a Bible which requires our engagement and interpretation. Sometimes you might be confused about what the Bible does command, particularly on some subjects. 
Sometimes you might read something you just don't like or don't agree with. And sometimes you might wonder whether the Bible can be relevant on all matters in our modern life. But what we do when we come up against those things is crucial for the battleground of obedience. Can I just implore us that in those times we don't walk away or ignore it? That blocks our pipeline. Because with God's help and the help of others in the body of Christ, we can find clarity out of confusion. It might take time. We can find our views and behavior transformed and enriched. And we can find wisdom that endures over time and context. You're not alone in the struggle. You can be honest about what you find hard. Those conversations need to have their place in our community. It's not awkward It's not inconvenient. It's an act of love. So let's encourage each other in that, on that journey. Um, Before a Sunday morning, we meet to pray at 10 a.m. Everyone's welcome to that, by the way. And this morning, uh, Josh had a prophetic word for us. He saw a picture of a kind of um, obstacle course, that's the word I'm looking for, an obstacle course, you know, where you kind of jump over things and crawl under things, and um, particularly had a picture of this wall, of just coming up against this huge wall, and just feeling like, I can't get over that. And he saw in his picture a rope come down from heaven. And I feel like that's a word for, perhaps there's a few people in particular, who might have come up against a wall in the Bible, and either they've just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore that wall. Or it's just stopping you from advancing. And God's word to us is, here's a rope, I'm going to help. It still requires some effort from you, but I'm going to take the weight off that struggle. So just encourage you, if that's you to pray about that and perhaps chat with Josh afterwards. He's in the blue T-shirt here. But obeying God isn't just about the Bible. Sometimes God will speak to us directly about something specific in the context of our lives. A biblical example is Jesus telling a rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions and give all of them to the poor. Jesus saw that possessions and money had become the king in a rich young ruler's life. And the man goes away sad because it truly does have that much power over him. Some people, when they first become Christians, have this experience where they feel God convicting them to give something up, even something that isn't actually forbidden in the Bible. So some people I've heard of who have decided that they're going to be teetotal, they're not going to drink alcohol anymore. And that's either because God is asking them to demonstrate some obedience or it's because that thing has held some power for them and he wants them to be free of it. On the flip side, he sometimes tells us to take something up. A friend of mine studied theology at university and then someone had a clear prophetic word that she should become a midwife. I mean, that's a huge change, isn't it? And she weighed it up and she decided it was from God and she went for it. And it turned out to be what she was absolutely made to do. 
So when it's him, it comes to hearing from God, let's make sure our pipeline's open. And when it does get blocked or we've got a wall in the way, let's attend to it quickly and let's be listening out for and weighing up God's timely word to us too. So that's hearing the word of God. Now let's look at wholeheartedly taking action. When I think about people who hear the word of God and wholeheartedly take action, I can't help but think about our missionaries. And that's radical obedience, isn't it? Not only have they heard the call we've all heard about going with good news to the nations, they've also had a timely word too that they should go to a particular people or place which is in desperate need of the love of God. And even though we know there are challenges and griefs along the way, you know, none of our missionaries would claim to be perfect or have a perfect experience, we are continually inspired by the size of their hearts in picking themselves up and moving, you know, sometimes their families to an unfamiliar place because they've heard the word of God and have wholeheartedly taken action. It's great to hear about the Macedonia team, wasn't it? And I just encourage you to find out more. There's so many more stories, aren't there? It was probably quite hard to pick uh, the stories, but Stuart in particular said to me that the, radi- the obedience that they saw out there was nothing short of radical. Um, so it'd be great to hear more from you in due course. But radical obedience isn't just something for the intrepid few. We can be radically obedient where we are. And I just want to do a shout out for moral behavior. Let's bring moral behavior back again. Um, a helpful provocation to hear is that we behave as though we have an audience of one at all times, because we do. He sees and knows it all. And his nature is that he's poised to lavish his forgiveness on us and to help us to change. One of the simplest but most effective actions we can take to be obedient is repentance. Jesus won it for us on the cross. We need to be asking God regularly, what's good about me? What don't you like? You know, if my life is a house, what furniture do we keep? What do we refurbish? And what do we just take to the tip? If reading the Bible is the evidence for our sung worship, then repentance is the evidence of our openness to God actually changing us. But we can do this. If you stop to think about it, there will be some people you know who are radically obedient in a particular way that inspires you. I've got a few examples. I've got a friend called Jess who refuses to gossip about people. She just won't do it. To my shame, it's been irritating. When she's in that kind of grey area where talking about someone else would actually really help her to process a negative experience, you can see the sort of moral quandary on her face. Like, uh. And you know what? It exposes something really ugly in me, but I can see it more clearly because I spend time with her. God has changed her in that particular area, and he's using it to transform people she comes into contact with. Another example would be a friend whose husband, this is an amazing story, whose husband told me a while ago that in the early days of their relationship, if he ever swore, she'd just leave the room. She'd just, he'd swear, <laughs> just walk off. And she doesn't uh, leave the room when everybody swears, otherwise she'd always be leaving rooms. <laughs> She's adopted a more radical strategy with those closest to her. Her inspiration is James 3, when he talks about 
taming the tongue. And actually, this verse is really relevant for the gossip as well. But verse 9, when the to- with the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Oh. Hearing that story of my friend and the biblical valley that went with it exposed something else ugly in me too. And over the last few months, I've been praying for help about it. And recently, in my workplace, I was told that a colleague of mine made a comment that she swears less when I'm in the office. And in the past, I would have worried about that. I would have thought, oh, no, maybe I'm a bit judgmental or she doesn't feel like she can fully be herself. And because of this, I was like, yes, (laughs) come on, (laughs) yes. This is how God gradually transforms us and the people around us. This is his kingdom. We can do this. I've got lots of other examples too. I have a friend who inspires me to choose to always see the best in people. That's hard. I've also lived with someone in the past who's really taken me to task for not recycling properly. I can hear her saying, it's so easy, Lois. It's so easy. It is easy. (laughs) For different ones of us, God does lay particular biblical values on our hearts. And it's one of the many reasons why being part of a church is so good for us. Just like I'm inspired to be like these wonderful friends, there's an ultimate friend who I'm called to imitate more. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we should be imitators of Christ. After all, he's perfect in every way. In our church, we have something called personal pastoring, where we encourage people to meet up with someone else in the church community who can, uh, I suppose, offer them discipleship, but really encouragement in their faith. And Chris and I, this is my husband, Chris, um, when we first started being pastored by Steve and Bev, Steve said to us that the best pastoral relationships he's had have been the ones where the pastee has said to him, kind of invited him to bring challenge to every aspect of their lives. And there was this sort of awkward pause in the room after he said that. I sort of turned to Chris like, I think he wants us to say something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I wasn't sure at the time, this was last September, I think. I wasn't sure at the time whether I could honestly invite that input and sort of break the dam you know, over my piddly little stream. I'm getting to the point now where I might be able to say it. Lord, would you use our pastoral relationships not just to encourage us, but also to sharpen us up? We desperately want to be imitators of Christ and to see your kingdom come. Lastly then, regardless of the cost to ourselves, We don't obey God because there will be good consequences for us, even though there might be. Sometimes the consequences won't feel good at all. There are examples in the Bible of people obeying God and then enduring hardship. Many Christians in the early church were martyred. Stephen, for example, he was stoned to death. Job is the story of a man who led a godly life and experienced great tragedy. We might, through godly behaviour, find that some people don't want to be our friend anymore. 
We might not be quite so popular as we'd like. It might mean people talking about us behind our backs or openly criticising us. It might mean worse. There is a cost of living in obedience, and radical obedience means that we count that cost. And with God's help and the help of our brothers and sisters, we do what's right anyway. When confronted with a cost, we can experience real fear. It's fear that holds us back from speaking out against something that isn't right. What if we're ridiculed? What if we're ignored? What if we're persecuted? It's fear that holds us back from going with good news to a culture and political system that is unfamiliar to us. What if I'm hurt? What if my family is put in danger? What if there's no fruit when I've given up everything? It's fear that holds us back from telling people that Jesus died for them. What if they get offended? What if they think I'm a weirdo? For me, it's what if they're turned off it even more? I just want to honour the turning team. Um, In our church, we have a team of people who go out on the streets of Oxford to initially tell people that God loves them, and then if they want to hear more, to tell them the gospel about Jesus. And the song that has become a bit of an anthem for that team the evening before they go out on the streets to tell people about Jesus is, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. And it's no surprise that that's the song that they're wanting to sing every time. They recognize that fear has to be overcome in order for them to be radically obedient. But when it comes to fear, there's some really good news. God knows that we cannot overcome it on our own. In Ezekiel 36, God said, I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my laws. And when Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, the context is him promising the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So where fear spreads lies and doubt, the spirit spreads truth. And where fear can overwhelm us, the spirit overwhelms fear. God puts his spirit in us to enable us to overcome all manner of challenges we might face. This week, as I've been preparing, I've had a hard week. I've uh, been faced with a challenge at work. There's something really wrong with a certain aspect of the culture that I'm in. And a few colleagues are very close to leaving. That's how bad it is. And I've been thinking, maybe I should leave too. And I felt the Holy Spirit rise up in me. And even though um, I'm very insignificant in my workplace, I felt him say, we can do something about this. This cannot stand. It was quite something. Nothing I'd experienced before. I think probably because I'd been thinking and praying about it. So I'm going to stay for the time being. It was the Holy Spirit who helped me to believe that God can redeem the culture for his own ends and gave me faith to persevere. I wonder what that might be for you. 
I want to start finishing up by touching on the ultimate purpose of obedience. In John 15, it says, if you remain in me, this is Jesus speaking, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Obedience brings glory to the Father. The glory of God is the ultimate consequence of obedience. And what, what is it that glorifies him in particular? It says that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be Jesus' disciples. God is glorified by his beloved children becoming more and more like Jesus and bearing fruit. And when it comes to taking action, regardless of the cost to ourselves, we have no better model than Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we're facing the very real cost of obedience, we need to remember that after death, God raised Jesus up. He exalted him to the highest place. God has a long-term plan for us. And that is heaven packed full of Christ-like worshippers, bowing the knee, having been saved for eternity by the enduring power of the cross. Heaven packed full of Christ-like worshippers, bowing the knee, having been saved for eternity by the enduring power of the cross. And what God will complete then, he begins in us now. What he will finish then, and what we long for then, he begins in us now. So just to summarise, let's listen to the word of God by looking to our pipelines, reading our Bibles, and listening out for a timely word from God. Secondly, let's be ready to take action by being proud to live lives infused with biblical values, challenging others and being open to re receive challenge from others. And lastly, let's allow the Holy Spirit to overcome fear in us so that we can be obedient even when there's a cost to us. And all of that so that we become imitators of Christ for the advancement of God's kingdom and ultimately for his glory. Amen.